It's interesting. I, I, a student of mine many, many years ago, um, we were invited over to his new house for a housewarming party. We went over and he, you know, he was one of those nature guys, as in, you know, sans deodorant. Um, <laughs> um, um, but he was a nice guy, really. Um, and we got over there and as we pulled up at the house, the, the sidewalk, the literal sidewalk, um, which is part of the city, um, not where the not where the concrete was, but where the grass used to be. He pulled that up and planted corn. And <laughs> all, oh yeah, I mean you know corn's not a small. He planted corn and and kale and all these kind of things. And he had this little urban garden on the sidewalk. And I said, "Do this? Have the city said anything about it?" He said, "No, they, they don't seem to be bothered." And I said, you know, the local people, do they say anything? He goes, no, they're all, they're all kind of intrigued with it. And I go, has anybody nicked anything? You know, so people just come and nick stuff. And he goes, oh, yeah, people come and steal things off it. And I said, how do you feel about that? He goes, I'm glad when they do. Wow. And nice. I was like, that's interesting. He goes, yeah, I'm glad when they do. He goes, I encourage it. Um, because he goes, I grow that stuff out there. He goes, we will take whatever we want from it. But it's grown there to be part of a community because I'm trying to encourage community living. And I went, wow, you know, that's a really good idea. <laughs> I mean, you know, because I, I, I just love that idea of community. Is that what, you know, from your point of view, is that what we've lost? Um, yes. In a, in a huge way, backing up just for one second. Yeah. You know, you think people in a gated community could could do the same thing in their front yards? <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right? It's like because you know, the like strata that. laws would not allow it. That's right. I'm not allowed to paint my front door mm -hmm. <laughs> because of strata laws. You can't. I can't hang with something in my window because of strata laws. Right. So the surest, I'm not going to let me grow grow corn. <laughs> and these, by and large, are are somewhat wealthy, educated people. Absolutely. And their, their yards, I guarantee you, most of them are treated with chemicals so they look green and there's no weeds and all that. And to me, that's just insanity. But anyway, that's just a point I wanted to make backing up. Community is a very interesting word, and it's, and it's something I feel very, very strongly about. Um, that gentleman you just spoke of that was growing corn out by his front yard, you know, he's, he understands the importance of bringing neighborhoods together. Mm-hmm. But you look at communities today, right? Everyone is like, likes to say, well, I live in the Oak Ridge community, you know, and I live mm. in, or in this community. And, if, you know, and of course, there probably used to be oak trees there, but they ripped them all out and built all these homes. <laughs> and then they planted small little sapling oaks, right? Yeah. And community is when everybody knows each other and looks after their kids. Most people in our society today don't even know their neighbors. And honestly, most of them don't want to. That is mm -hmm. not community. And that is not what traditional cultures around the world viewed as community. Their communities no. were, were extended families. They were aunts and uncles that were helping raise the kids. There were teenagers that were put in position of um, power as role models to help teach the younger kids instead right. of this pecking order um, separation that we see in our in our schools today. High school is a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. 
You're the founder uh, and director of the Earth School, which is mm -hmm. in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Is that right? Yeah, I'm in the Asheville area. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So, how it? Well, first of all, let, let's sort of educate people. Mm -hmm. Asheville. Describe Asheville. What What is that? You know, because obviously people are going to be listening who've never heard of the place. So. Um, Asheville is a um, very eclectic city. Of course, it's where the Biltmore estate is. The Vanderbilt fortune is there, and they have a huge, you know, beautiful estate, lots of woods. Um, Asheville is um, primarily liberal, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And um, just about every religion on the face of the earth is represented there and accepted there. Mm. It's, uh, you know, it's very bohemian. Um, um, you know, there are many people there that have an aversion to bathing, as we see in different parts <laughs> of the country. And um, and it's really growing so big. It's actually growing too big. It's it's very hard to even get around during certain hours. We have US 40 and US 26 go right through it. And at certain hours, you're better off just to stay home because the traffic backup is is just so bad. But the area around it is the real gem. Mm -hmm. around it is all national forest you could leave Asheville and be up on the Blue Ridge Parkway in probably five ten minutes and drive wow. another couple minutes and get out and hike into wilderness so it's so it's pretty darn special that way so it, so that's interesting right because that's why I asked you because in many ways it's very urban you know there's a there's there's more and more people coming in, mm -hmm. um, modern facilities in every possible way, growing businesses, etc. And at the same time, this accessibility to not only nature, because I mean, I think that most people in most cities have a reasonable access to nature, but, but access to integration with nature. I mean, so was it a natural thing for you to, that's what I'm asking, was, was Earth School a natural, was that a natural place to start it? Or did it seem like it, you know, I mean, because you're from that area, right? Was um, it seem like it was a better thing to do somewhere else initially? Well, um, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Mm -hmm. And I watched, I was kind of on the outskirts of the urban sprawl. And right. then I watched you know, miles of cornfields turn into cookie cutter, you know, neighborhoods, you know, um, young professionals and all that cropland, all that healthy soil just disappeared. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when I first started learning this stuff 30 years ago, this was out in New Jersey of all places. Right. Um, but there is some wilderness out there. And I wound up uh, taking classes there for about three years through, through um, Tom Brown school, the tracker school. And I taught there, um, eventually became the um, lead instructor there. Um, but I taught there for five years. And when I left, um, I had some friends, some student friends that I met up in New Jersey that lived down in North Carolina here. Mm. And um, they said, you got to come on down and just kind of take a look around. Because I, I knew that I was not going back to Chicago. That just right. was not And I came down and just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the mountains, you know. Illinois is as flat as a washboard and mm -hmm. I can't, I don't even like going there anymore. I still have some family there, but I prefer not to go there here. I have everything I need. Plus 
the Smoky Mountains is is incredibly vast. You could spend your whole life and never see it all. Mm-hmm. And the biodiversity is unmatched in the United States. There's more biodiversity here than any other place. And why do you think that is? Pardon me? Why do you think that is? Um, it's because the mountains are so old. The uh, mm-hmm. Rocky Mountains in comparison are actually very, very young. The Smoky is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah, the Smoky Mountains are not as tall, and that's just because they're more weathered and lush over millions of years. So the Smoky Mountains and the Appalachia, are they, is that the same, different? They're all kind of tied together to the same range. That's what I thought. It's the same range that's tied together, right? Mm-hmm. Just like the Coastal Mountains and the Rocky Mountains are tied together on yes. this side. On that side, it's the Appalachian and the Smokies that are... You know, because when the reason I'm saying it is because again, I mean, I'm fully pleading ignorance here. When people think of, you know, I think uh, again, my bias. When people think of the Smoky Mountains, they think of ding, 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 <laughs> <laughs> right? And so, yeah, we think about nature, people. But you know, ah, this is my other brother Daryl, and this is my sister wife. <laughs> I've met a few people that were more than likely related that were in. marital situations (laughs) and but but you know a lot of these people you know they're just the salt of the earth and actually once you once you get to know them they're they're wonderful people Mm -hmm. it's just hard to understand them for a while sometimes you got to sit there and go what what and then you start to kind of pick up on their dialect um but yeah it isn't it isn't all like that no, I'm sure. I'm sure. Now you, um, you lead your programs with Earth School. You've led them for, uh, you've led programs in Australia. And so it's not just in Smoky Mountains. You've taught survival and self-reliance skills to even groups like the Navy Skills, uh, Navy SEALs rather. Um, leading this kind of work, I mean, there's two, two questions there. One is, how is that different doing it for somebody like the Navy SEALs versus Joe Public? And on the other side, is it very different leading um, a survival, uh, nature, earth-based training in a place like Australia, which, you know, I, as you know, I came from, mm. is a vastly different terrain, um, or it would appear to me to be very different terrain. Maybe the Blue Mountains of, of East Coast Australia, but it seems to be a very different uh, different terrain so let you know from both of those things a let's start with the the seals versus uh the <laughs> joe blow guy who, who wasn't bathing a week <laughs> when, I, when i was working at the tracker school out in new jersey one of the instructors was a um uh, used to be an army ranger mm-hmm. and so he spoke the military lingo and he he contacted this group of seals and organized a special training for them. And we didn't know who they were. No. And, and I was a little bit green at that time, believe me, you know, uh, I was used to teaching civilians. And then we go for four days at, down at Fort AP Hill in Virginia, and we've got 10 Navy SEALs. And it turns out they're all from SEAL Team Sixes. Oh, okay. <laughs> they're like three different SEAL teams were represented, but they're all SEAL Team Sixes, red, white, and blue team, I believe. Right. And some of these guys were really hard to read. You know, they kind of made you nervous. Other guys, other guys would break out notebooks and, and start writing everything down. 
And I remember this one guy named, uh, I, I want to say his name was Hans, a blonde haired Scandinavian guy. He just sit in this, sit in his chair sideways and kind of stare at me out of the corner of his eye as I was teaching. And again, I was green. So I was, I was sure. thinking I am out of my league, but these guys were so capable. Their stories were unbelievable. I mean, the stuff I'm that sure. these guys went through were just crazy, but interestingly, they do not get the kind of training that schools like mine offer. They were blown away. Is that right? Yeah, you know, when they made their first friction fires and all that kind of stuff, they were just like, oh, actually one of the guys said, oh my gosh, you know, we are, we are so going to impress the girls on Virginia Beach when we get back, you know? <laughs> really? That's, 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 that's exactly what they were talking about. But then they built shelters. They each built their own leaf shelter and stayed in it. And um, they just excelled at everything. But, you know, I guess I've never been through military boot camp or BUDS, which is the Navy SEAL training, which apparently is very intense. Um, but they're taught to survive and keep their head down based on what equipment they have yes. so that maybe somebody can come in and scoop them up and lift them out of there. And so this training was very different. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that, <clears throat> you know, the, the average person like myself uh, I know I imagine that that sort of survivalist uh, nature-based uh, education would have been part of their training. And so it's really interesting to me to hear that that was a very different world for them. You know, mm -hmm. like you said, you know, just friction fires and things like that. Like, well, isn't that basic for a SEAL? But no. And I think that this is so often the challenge is, again, what we started off talking about right at the beginning of the show there's so many preconceived ideas about people or about things that we have. <clears throat> and I, you know, the whole, the whole idea of this show is to break down those walls and say, well, Oh, I thought it was about this, but it's actually about that. Or I thought this meant this, but it means that. So let's take it now to that next, next part of that question, which was, you know, uh, teaching survival um, and self-reliance and, and nature-based in somewhere like Australia, which in case people don't know, has more uh, poisonous snakes and more poisonous spiders than any other place on the planet. You know, really, you could die in Australia just going for a walk out of your house. I know because I lived there. I remember when I first arrived in Australia uh, in my very early 20s and going to visit my dad, uh, who lived on the edge of a city, not quite the bush but close and on one side of his across the street a normal like a, a road as in a two four lane road on the other side was bush and on, there was his house and the houses on the other side and walking across from the bush was what's called a racehorse lizard now people don't probably know what that is but when i tell you a racehorse lizard it is enormous i mean it is it's probably that thick, right? This lizard. So it's not some little gecko from a commercial. This is about this thick, you know, and about oh, four feet long, walking across the road, you know, and the cars are whizzing by. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, is this a movie? Like, so tell us about 
doing that kind of work in Australia versus the Smoky Mountains? Well, sure. And, you know, I had no idea what to expect when I got there. And, you know, <laughs> sure. I ran a, a family camp, a, a week-long family camp, and a week-long survival class for adults. Um, I, I was there for a total of three weeks. But, you know, I'm going to teach them friction fires, meaning I need wood. But I'm not allowed to bring anything from the States there because there could be bugs and stuff hidden in it. So yeah. I want If you ever fly into Australia, by the way, you should know that, that you're not allowed to take anything in. I mean, mm -hmm. just as an example, my wife and I were on holiday in Bali and we had a photograph taken and they put it in a frame. And when we got to the airport, they took the frame away because it was made of wood. Wow. Right? So that's an example. You are, they are so strict because it's an island continent. So you were certainly not allowed to take anything in. Nope. And so, you know, I had some basic camping stuff, you know, and, you know, I got, I got grilled pretty good at the airport. They were very curious about why I had an ax and some things, you know. Of course, I didn't <laughs> want to tell them that I was going to teach there, you know. Yeah, I'm an American max murderer on holiday, just looking for some Australian samples. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually taught these classes in uh, Tasmania. Oh, okay, Tazzy. Yeah. Tazzy, yeah. Don't they say that the, the people there have an extra head growing out of one of their shoulders or something like that? That's what I yeah. heard. Well, Tazzy, actually, for those people who don't know, I, uh, I'm, I live in Vancouver, which is in British Columbia, Canada, and Tasmania mm -hmm. and British Columbia look very similar. Because people think of Australia as being hot and mm -hmm. arid, and they don't understand that actually it is a very diverse country and Tasmania looks like British Columbia. It's very green. There's a lot of pines. It's, you know, it's, it's not the, the Australian get I mate and lizards in the way that you normally think of it. So, so right. that's a, that's a, there's a, another great reframe for people to understand. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Well, you know, so when I got there, you know, my host, you know, I got to spend about three days just kind of prepping. And I was just looking for any kind of wood that I could use to make bow drill kits up, to make our fire kits. Mm -hmm. um, and I started, you know, I started seeing plants that I recognized. You know, there's, there's plants there that, that, that we have here, some edible plants. Um, oh. There are some overlaps. I think I eventually made a bunch of kits or cut a bunch of wood for them. I, I want to say it was wattle. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where tree called wattle there? Yeah. And, uh, and for our um, tinder bundles that we put our embers into for our fires, well, we were making those out of uh, eucalyptus bark. Yeah. So I just kind of, you know, it's like I, I, I knew what to look for. And it didn't yes. matter if I knew what the name of these things were. I was, just, you know, I was just grateful that they weren't something like poison ivy, you know, because you're in a, you're on a different, you're on a whole different realm over there. And yeah, you know, I wound up seeing a, a couple brown snakes, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I know darn well that those things can kill you really easily. Mm -hmm. um, never saw a funnel web spider. I'm not sure if they're in Tassie or not, but I'm glad. <laughs> I've, I've seen the videos and it, it's not pretty. Nope. As you said, just, there's a lot of stuff there that can put a big hurt on you. And our, our camp was right along a, um, right along a beautiful kind of real dark brackish water river. And I never got to see one, but some of the students got up early and went down by the water and actually had a, had a couple of platypus sightings. Oh yeah. That's, yeah, Very I would, cool. I would have loved to have seen, but I never got a chance to. Um, but yeah, I just kind of, I just kind of kicked into, you know, 
overdrive and just figured stuff out as I went and everything worked out great. But you said something that, <clears throat> which you had referenced much earlier, and I think it's part of the importance of the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you were saying that some people will go to university and they'll study the plants and they'll study those things and they know uh, maybe the Latin names of these things and maybe even the, the, the uh, more common names of these things. And you just talked about going into Australia, not knowing the names of the woods or, you know, whatever it might be, but knowing what to look for rather than, well, you know, I need to look for this name because trees don't come with labels on them. (laughs) Um, But to to know the kind of bark you're looking for um, with a eucalyptus bark, which is a very different bark, I know, because I live there, Um, but it looks very different, but it probably looks like, what you're looking for in the context of oh well this is what tinder looks like and you know and looking at wattle and what that what that kind of wood is and um you know it's not about the name but looking at the type is that is that am i getting that absolutely yeah that's it right on the head you know right. our you know as you just kind of alluded to you know our our public school system teaches us that if we know the name of something um that you know that we know it Mm -hmm. but we don't because there are layers upon layers of really getting to know a a certain tree getting to know you know how the how the wood splits how it burns uh, what kinds of insects are around it, what kinds of plants grow around it or even can grow around it or what kinds of animals it attracts maybe because um, because of its fruit or its nuts Um, and so the name you know, the, you know, the name's only important when you're having a conversation with someone else so you can talk about the same thing. But out in the field, if you're by yourself, you're just looking for characteristics. It doesn't matter what the name is. I mean, it's great if you know it, but I'm just, I'm just looking at resources because I know what to do with them when I find certain characteristics. You know, and, and that's, you, you brought up again something that I think is maybe a, maybe a greater challenge in our society we feel like we can we name something therefore we know something mm-hmm. and naming and knowing are different how do you how do you you know i'm just really interested from your point of view how do you see that show up in the world because obviously it shows up in the context of nature mm-hmm. right is that well i can name the you know i've seen a photograph and i know that this is an australian eucalyptus and I go, okay, well, how many, how many types of eucalyptus are there? And they go, I don't know. And I go, there's hundreds. And they go, right. really? Yeah, okay. So, you know, we name something, therefore we think we know it. And I think we do that in life. We name something, we go, oh, well, that's John. Yes. Well, I know his name, or I know his label. That's John, the CEO. Mm-hmm. But do I know John? Maybe that's the, maybe that's where we've lost our touch with nature. It, that's what it's done to us. Is it's caused us to lay, label rather than know. Yeah, that's right. Label, you know, rather than know or build a relationship with. Mm-hmm.